Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Train Brave podcast. I'm Chris Hendy. I'm Rini McGregor. And guys, we're going to be jumping straight into it today and we're going to find out what is REDS. REDS. So, REDS or REDS, or it's often known as Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. Um, so for those of you who have been following me for a while, you know that this is kind of one of the key areas that I work in. And it's also one of the main reasons that we started Train Brave to raise awareness. It's a fairly new phenomenon in sport, but to be fair, it's been probably going on for a very long time. Um, so formerly probably known as the female athlete triad, which some of you may have heard of where, um, a number of females would, you know, especially sort of professional athletes would lose their period, um, and that was usually a, a consequence of overtraining, underfueling. But some, the most, the most common reason they would present is usually with stress fractures. So we know like that sort of triangle in terms of not having periods. That means your estrogen is low, which then affects your bone health. You know, it all kind of ties in. So um, in more recent years, though, we realised that while this is definitely a problem, we were also ignoring half the population. That's the males, because actually it's also an issue for men. So what we know is that while they might not have a menstrual cycle, um, they still have hormones and a reduction in testosterone from overtraining is um, causes the same issues in terms of bone health. The other thing we've learned is that red S, so when you have low energy for the work you do. So this is where people don't, they get a bit confused. What I mean by that is you may actually be eating okay. Like if you were looking on it on the surface of it, you'd be like, actually, I'm, I looks like I'm eating well. But it's not enough energy for the work that your body is doing. So that includes your training, but it might include or it will also include like your commuting or if you've got a physical job. But it also fundamentally includes all those biological processes that are going on within your body. And this is what people forget. Like, I think we live in a society where we're constantly being told we need to move more and eat less. And we forget that our body just has an actual just fundamental need for fuel yeah so it needs a couple of thousand calories just to kind of walk around on a daily on a daily basis yeah and it's all dependent very much on your age your sex your um your genetics your um your build you know like your height your weight everything's sort of it's all relative to that so actually the heavier you are the more energy you need to move yep. right so this is also something i think while it's not red s i think it's really important to bring up that I think one of the reasons why so many obesity interventions fail is because we try and overly restrict their calorie intake. And it's the same phenomenon really going on in the sense that if you under fuel for the work that your body needs to do, the body is going to go into preservation mode. It's going to start shut, shut down. So what we know with athletes is the body will always prioritize movement, always. And that kind of goes back to, you know, prehistoric man times when um you were hunter and gatherer and you know you would kind of like you'd have periods of time where there was no food available so your body would go into preservation mode and then you had to run to go and catch your food so the body had to prioritize the energy being sent to the muscles to go and run after that food and catch it so it's the same sort of principle um so as the body prioritizes movement it starts to shut down other biological functions in the body to preserve that energy so it's a bit like a phone you know like when your phone's on low battery and it starts shutting down the apps it's a bit like that um so the the things that we might notice in females we would probably notice most common symptom is a change in menstrual function so that can be that it become it can become a bit more erratic perhaps it can be a bit lighter or it can completely stop as we know and for a long time, I think, and I still think this belief's out there, unfortunately, but I think it, it was almost accepted that anybody, any female that was physically active, not doesn't matter about level, but somebody who was highly active, should we say, it was kind of normal not to have a period. Well, I, I think Josh, going to jump in there. I mean, that's something that I myself probably was uh, guilty of years ago now, I suppose. But um, And I've worked with endurance athletes especially, but just athletes in general, um, that was kind of a just a common thing it was like well you know obviously being on the pill and everything mm -hmm. that has its uh, implications now we know but um yeah it was just kind of a, oh yeah you know i've you know i've lost my period but you know i haven't had a period for a long time now so it's it comes it's kind of yeah as you say it's just like common common a common thing whereas we are obviously known now known dif differently so yeah i mean the one thing i'm going to say and i and i hope you guys really hold on to this and you've probably heard me say it many times before but it's not normal to not have a period it's not 
And um, so we know that's one of the first signs that the body is in low energy. Mm. Other symptoms that you might get are um, one that a lot of people don't really realize or associate with with red S is digestive issues. So often, again, if you think about it, the digestive system has to slow down. There's not enough energy, so it becomes very sluggish. So when um, we, I get a lot of athletes coming into the clinic and they're like, yeah, my stomach is really bloated. It's really uncomfortable. I think I've got IBS. And if they go to their GPs, often the GP, you know, again, they might only have 10 minutes with them. They're not going to do a full history. They're not going to get everything. This individual sat in front of them probably looks fairly healthy. They're doing exercise, but they're complaining of a, of a sluggish digestive system. Of course, they're going to immediately assume it's IBS. But the worst possible thing you can do is put somebody on an exclusion diet who's already restricting. So I have to jump in there because uh, this is something that was very uh, kind of it's clear, crystal clear to me now. But um, me and Polly were actually talking about this last night, guys. Um, and we were just talking about how Polly had IBS or diagnosed as IBS years ago when she was training full time and um, the doctor's now on GP at the time, we just sort of said, you know, take things in, take things, you know, take things out of your diet, just kind of start to, you know, manipulate your diet in a little in ways. And we actually found out we had dried fruit. We thought it might be dried fruit. We thought it might be coffee. So we were really were starting to dive into, you know, because we both have our sort of sports science brains, we were like, you know, we, we just started really kind of pulling things apart, looking at breaking our training program down, breaking our nutrition down, looking at everything but the obvious now, uh, you know, like obviously Polly was had been ten years on the pill. Like you know, there was so many things there. I mean, we, I think we're going to talk about it in a minute the warning signs, but multiple warning signs were there even before we even knew it, really. So yeah. Yeah, and, and I think this is it. I mean, it's it's the classic one that I see in clinic that has really been misdiagnosed. I mean, a lot of lot of things get misdiagnosed, and I think the other thing to remember is that you know often when people are presenting, they do look generally quite healthy, and they are following as we would all think, a healthy lifestyle. They're physically active. They're trying to look after their, their eating. It's just that there's a mismatch of energy in and energy out. So so as we said, it can affect your um, menstrual cycle. And with men, it still affects your hormones. So it basically affects your hormonal system completely. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't appreciate is that you need those hormonal um, those hormonal cycles you need testosterone and you need estrogen because without those you can't create growth hormone which means you don't get training adaptation so you keep putting all this effort in you keep training you keep training you keep training i had a young um athlete she's a triathlete and she contacted me just last week um she's training incredibly hard like ridiculously hard you look at her training schedule and you're like oh my god it is full on and she's like but I'm not getting the times I should be. And then you start sort of doing a little bit more investigation and exploring. She hasn't had a period for two years. The, um, she went to see a gynecologist. Um, he put her on the pill to try and induce her period. Now, another really important point, guys, is that you can't induce your period by putting being put on the pill. So the pill, the contraceptive pill, is a contraception. So it actually stops ovulation. So by going on the pill, you're not going to induce ovulation. It's not going to happen. You're actually going to make things a lot worse. And we know from some of the studies that are coming through from um, Kate Ackerman, who's, who's really big in this area, that actually being on the pill could be counter-indicative in, um, for bone health as well when you have got low energy availability. So please don't go on the pill. Please don't be encouraged to go on the pill because it's not the answer. <clears throat> so... Okay, so just take it back a little bit. So obviously, I didn't, I didn't know this years ago, um, and obviously, when you don't know, you don't know. Mm. Um, but in terms of training on the pill, yeah, like you know, the, you know, obviously, we as couples and as people, we want some form of contraception. Like, how does an athlete go about managing that? So, like in terms of do they cycle in, cycle out? I mean, I, I, you know, how they go about that? I think that's a really good question, and it's not one I've got a complete answer for because okay. it's a conversation I have with pretty much every single female athlete I work with. Um, you have a couple of options. From my point of view, the best option to know that you are fueling properly and your body is working optimally is probably the, the, the copper coil, the copper IUD, because while it prevents um, pregnancy, it still works with your normal cycle. So a lot of athletes like the Mirena coil, which is um, got 
progesterone, so it's got a hormone. The problem with that is you do tend to lose your period as well right. because progesterone will stop that. So again, you're kind of at a loss of knowing what's going on. And what's the, so obviously I don't know the full depth of that, so what are the, are the, what are the implications of, what's the difference between the two, as in, obviously you just mentioned it, but are there any offs, offs no, like... Um, so in the past, um, to start with, in the past, they didn't used to offer any coil um, to any any woman who had not had children. But I don't think that's the case anymore because I know of, of young girls who've got the coil in, um, young, young athletes have got the coil in. Um, the main difference is one's got a hormone, one hasn't, and the, the one with the hormone will stop your period. Right. So it's whether you want the, the faff... <laughs> Yeah, of yeah, a period yeah. every month um personally i like to know where i am but i i you know i know that that's not the case for everybody so but i think you th- the thing is it's still potentially masking under fueling and that's the problem and the other issue is that if you are on the pill or you've got any sort of hormonal contraception so that the implant or the injection or or, or the, the coil if we were to do blood tests you're not going to get a true indicator of what's really going on either so I mean, that's not to say, I'm not saying people shouldn't use contraception. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, 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 of course. I think you just need to be mindful that certain contraception is going to mask red S. And if you think you are probably somebody who's susceptible to it, then actually you need to be, just need to be thoughtful about that process. So, um, yeah, I mean, warning signs. I mean, what, what are we looking for? I mean, so when it comes to red S, I mean, what, I mean I've, I've become very aware mm. well, over, the, over the last couple of years about what to kind of look for, but... Can you just go through a few? Yeah, so as we've said, it affects pretty much every single process in the body, okay? So some of the things that we often see is that people may have recurrent injuries. That doesn't necessarily mean stress fractures. They might have a lot of soft tissue damage, like a lot of soft tissue injuries. And if somebody's coming in again and again with soft tissue injuries, and especially in your case when you're in clinic, mm. um, that's that could be a red flag, it's not saying it would be, but it could be a red flag because, again, we know that when testosterone and estrogen are low, you're at a higher risk of soft tissue damage. Um, and obviously, if that continues to get worse, then you're at a higher risk of stress fractures and stress reactions. So, you know, they're kind of the first things that might present. As we've said already in the females, periods, you know, and I think, I think it's a difficult one. I think for male coaches because maybe they don't feel comfortable in asking their female athletes about their menstrual cycle but I really hope that with all the work especially that we've done in terms of um, Train Brave the campaign and also all the podcasts I've done generally and um, all the talking I do around this subject I really hope that male coaches feel more comfortable about actually having that conversation yeah I think like I mean obviously it's, it's, it's a skill I've developed mm. um, over the last probably, well, nine months with you um, but obviously I'm a, I'm a little bit it's a little bit easier for me maybe because I've had Polly obviously yeah. and I've had I've got quite a few female athletes that I've worked with over the years but I think it's how you approach it I mean you don't have to di- deep dive straight away you don't have to ask those awkward questions straight away but I think any any coach is going to sit you down and whether that's via Skype or it's face-to-face, you could ask those questions about lifestyle, habits, nutritional, you know, like you can ask those kind of uh, overview questions. And then you, and then if you start actually making notes about this, you're going to start seeing patterns emerging. You know, you're going to ask about, okay, when, what's your work life look like? What does your training lifestyle look like? Okay, um, how many hours sleep are you getting? Um, like, you know, what does, what does uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner look like? You know, what, what are you snacking pre or post training? And, when there's some big omissions happening there, when you're seeing some big gaps appearing, or some just lack of lack of quality sleep, or there's you know there's there's things now that you're starting to pick up patterns. You know they're only they're only they're they're indecisive about, or they're not giving you a clear picture or an idea of what what their what their week looks like. It, there's a few things there that I've for me that's like I'm already beginning to build uh, a bit of an image in my mind or a bit of a better picture of who they are, and then. And only then, maybe once you're in that com- deep in, deep into that conversation, do you have an opportunity potentially just to go, okay, I need to know um, just just quickly, uh, what's your menstrual cycle like? Or you know, you, you need to ask those questions. And you know, between mature adults, it, it shouldn't be an uncomfortable question. And it's certainly a question that a coach should be comfortable and or should be doing asking their athletes. Agreed. And I think when you're asking that question about menstrual cycle as well, is ask them, you know. Are you on contraception? I know that sounds like a really like quite a, a difficult question to ask, but I don't know. Like I have no issue talking to 
you as my coach about any of that kind of stuff because I know that I want optimal results. So from my point of view, I don't have an issue telling you about what's going on for me from that point of view. Um, I think I'd probably have more more difficulties telling a male friend but I don't when it comes to a coach so I think coaches should also feel like if they really want that engagement and that commitment from their athlete they need to understand that they need to know all those aspects of that person so okay let's take take me out of the equation someone who actually understands it <clears throat> um a track coach so someone who's up, up up at a track um he's got maybe 15 young young girls he's working with ranging from 15 years old through to I don't know, 20, um, you know, he's on his own up there. Maybe he might have an understudy with him, but you know, how, how could he approach it without kind of deep diving straight away to the group? I mean, he's going to have to maybe ask him or to, uh, take him to the side if he has any of those issues, but like, oh, I know, sorry, any of those concerns, but do, do you know what I mean? Like when you mm-hmm. put yourself in that situation, which I, I'm, I've seen from a distance, you know, obviously when I've worked up at the track, diff- different tracks over the years, and it's, it's not, the, uh, I can, you can imagine it's not, not going to be the easiest thing to ask, but it's kind of working out the way, best ways to go about it. Absolutely. But I think like, again, most of these coaches and most of these situations now, they usually want some sort of metric kind of monitoring you mm. know like they'll they'll want them to check in or they'll want them to send something because they'll be sending them a plan for the week or, or yeah. whatever like you know and and I think starting to put this information on that so you're not even having to literally ask that question that often you just can just indicate menstruating not menstruating whatever that might be you know Gwen Jorgensen she you know she notoriously put on her training peaks when she was menstruating when she wasn't so <laughs> you know I think I think we can start to have those ways of of dealing with it and I think also because we're getting some big names like we've had you know we've we've had some really big names coming out we've had Bobby Clay we've had um, um, Amelia Boone you know we've had some big names coming out talking about hypothalamic amenorrhea talking about Red S explaining how bad it has it was for them I think more and more young female athletes are going, hmm, this is a problem. I know my clinic, our clinic here, is ridiculously busy because more and more people are going, I didn't realise it was so bad not to have a period for 18 months or I didn't realise it was so bad not to have a period for six years or, or whatever. And so I think we are getting the message out there and, and, and that's that's a really good start. Hmm. Um, and I think the more we talk about this, the more we give coaches the tools as well on how to have these conversations. Yeah, I think it's the confidence as well. Hmm. Like it's just this professional confidence to be able to go hey actually I'm, i know i'm here to deliver a run session i know i'm here but you're actually you know that there's that you have you're there for the health of the athlete as well and you know and if you have balancing the health then you're definitely going to get a better performance out of them but it's giving them that confidence and that comes through just talking more about it and obviously that's what we're trying to do here with the podcast yeah. is just be a little bit more open about these topics because they don't have to be taboo topics you know this is just is just health like whether you're a man or a woman like there's certain things that we have you know, certain bodily expectations that we should have of ourselves and if they, if we're not ticking those boxes then we know that we are obviously there's something not fully you know uh, correct there and we just need to make sure we're kind of being become more aware of it and act upon it yeah exactly so going back to some of the other warning signs so in men actually one of the things that you might find is that their morning um, erectile function doesn't happen yep. so one of the things we ask is for um men to to, to to indicate that on the form so you know I, I send out a form to the people i work with um around their nutritional intake around their training around their their mood um and we'll ask these sorts of monitoring questions around sleep and also menstrual function but also erectile function so that we we know what's going on um so that's one of the first one of the signs you may get as a, as a male as well other things that I think you really need to look out for are actually performance may initially get a little bit better, but then it starts to stagnate and then it deteriorates. So unfortunately, by the time they usually come into clinic, it's at that point where performance is just falling off and you've actually probably, you know, you've probably gone beyond where you should have done in the first place. And it can take a little bit longer then to get back on track and and get back to a place where you're optimal. Um, so that's something to just be mindful of. So the men, obviously men you're saying about, obviously um, in the mornings, obviously, well, anything else men need to be kind of being aware of? So the only other thing I would say, and this is probably not generic to men, it's to everybody, is that, you know, you might find again that things like mood become affected. So again, we know that estrogen and testosterone 
are highly important for the uptake of serotonin in the brain. And so if you're not producing enough estrogen, if you're not getting enough testosterone, then it can obviously affect your mood because you, you just can't get enough serotonin. And that also then falls into this kind of exercise dependency a little bit because, you know, you go and run or you go and cycle or whatever, you get your hit, you get your dopamine hit, you, you get your feel good hit. And then it's like, oh, I felt really good. And then you feel flat again. And because you, your body's not able to, to maintain that. And so then you go out again and you go out again and you get this dependency. And before you know it, it's almost like we, you can't not train because it's going to make you feel so anxious and uncomfortable. Um, other things that we might notice is that you actually your immune system can get depressed. So some people will present with autoimmune-like uh, symptoms. So I've had a number of athletes that actually have been presented and you kind of it's kind of like this malaise it's this um higher heart rate when they're training it's kind of a bit like the overtraining yep, that you yep. would you would normally see but um when you then do their bloods you often find that they've got um, something called ebv which is Epstein barr virus and that's a a really big indicator that the body has worked too hard and has not got enough fuel in the system when um the low carb high fat diet was really popular a few years ago and a lot of endurance athletes went on it i saw the um, incidence of ebv rise significantly because that lack of carbohydrate was actually meaning that a lot of bodies were in a huge amount of stress and it was affecting immune function and then um they were getting um Epstein barr virus oh wow so it's quite interesting to kind of see the link oh when, so when you go back to kind of um some of those symptoms i mean i, I mean i've picked up on a few mm. um we've talked about it quite a lot is the kind of the thousand mile stare mm. um yeah. you know someone's in the room but they're not um and i'm i've always kind of sometimes i put it down to kind of some of my athletes being in like, in the middle of an ironman block or in the middle of a big training block and there's that level of fatigue going on there but um there's more than that you know like there's the you know you're, you're talking to them um and there just there isn't that kind of then they're not in the room with you. They're not really kind of relaying back what you're, the information you're getting. And I've obviously learned over the years that, you know, when I'm training someone in, in, in the gym environment or even just talking to them, you know, I, I ask them to relay things back. Mm. But it's that kind of lack of... Cognitive function. Cognitive function, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's usually down to low estrogen and low testosterone levels. Right, yeah. So, you know, that's the other thing is that... So it, it sounds like I'm putting everything down to hormones. Well, basically, yes. Well, why not? Because I mean, they're the building blocks of our body. I mean, yeah. they're, they're things, you know, we talk about... They are, it's full yeah, stop. Yeah, exactly. And so, basically, fundamentally, if you need to understand anything about Red S, is that when you're in low energy availability for the work that you do, you you cause dysfunction to your hormones and it's those it's that dysfunction to your hormones that then affects everything else and what we also know is that your um, thyroid gland becomes affected so your meta meta metabolic rate also reduces right. so this is another thing that if you have athletes who've been trying to lose weight and they've restricted and they've restricted and they've restricted and they keep pushing their bodies they keep pushing their bodies, and they're not seeing the results like i think we've had this conversation with a few people that we know where they um they're working really hard in the gym, but they're just not getting the muscle definition. They're not getting that kind of what you'd expect from from the training adaptation. And often it's because there's not. I would call. I'd almost say that the word I tend to use, and 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 sorry if this offends anyone, but the word I tend to use is that people are a bit fluffy. They're not. They're not firm. They're not kind of strong. And often that's. I call it soft. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and, and, and what it is, is that there's just not enough energy, there's not the hormones to drive that, um, that process that right. needs to happen. Yeah. But the problem is they will then look at themselves and go, well, I'm not, I'm not responding. I'm not losing weight. This is not happening. So they'll cut back even further right, and yeah. they'll cut back even further and their metabolic rate gets slower and slower and yeah. slower. And actually they can eventually, you can actually have a higher fat mass. You might be, maybe you might be a little bit lighter in weight, but you'll have a higher fat mass because the body holds on to energy in a way of trying to preserve energy and look after your um, organs, your internal organs. So this has got my mind thinking because obviously working with high end, like high end athletes, I mean, especially endurance athletes, there's this, this strength to weight ratio. You know, everyone's kind of obsessed about getting, you know, as strong and as efficient as possible, but obviously at the lightest body mass they could possibly maintain. And obviously restriction come mm. in big time. You know, mm. there'll be people talk about dropping, dropping half a kilo, kilo, you know, just because they know that they might, potentially they might opt it might be optimally working at a, at, at 69 instead of 70. And, 
but <clears throat> the way they go about that you know it's it's just flat restriction it's like it's not it's just old good old school kind of just work 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 and eat as little as possible and i think that's kind of echoing what you're saying is that they just go into this kind of preservation mode yeah exactly and and this is it like i you know i always say that we know that being being lighter being leaner to a degree is going to make you probably more efficient from a performance point of view it probably does get your optimal performance but there is a very fine line. Yeah, of course. So if you cross that line, your performance is going to deteriorate. And this is the thing about having a coach. I'm mm. sorry, like, I've got to jump in there again because I don't want to, there's nothing wrong with this because in a, in a, in a weird way where, where when you're at the top of the game and you're trying to find optimal performance, it is a juggling act. Like there's a, there's a you know, you're back and forth, but what you have to be aware of is those warning signs and how far, you know, going too far and having that, that, that knowing what those signs are knowing what those kind of where, where you're at is so important yeah and it's also why i use blood tests yep. a lot because i think when you've got tangible data so again i was working with another young triathlete last week and she has come back from red s so she's slowly building her training back up she's got a great coach and he listens to to, to me so that's fantastic um but she was really like biting at the bit now. She's like, I really want to move forward. I really want to, yeah, yeah. I want to do this, you know, but actually menstrual function has not returned yet. So mm. I said, you know, we need to see where you're at. We need to look at these bloods. So she got all her bloods done and um, I went through them with her earlier this week. And um, you know what? Her bloods show us that she is still in red S. She is still in low energy availability explain for the bit, work sorry, she does. Can you explain that a bit more? So what, 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 what are you seeing that obviously you've qualified to see it but like yeah. what what are you looking for what are those numbers or so what? we're looking at hormones so we're yeah. looking at your your controlling hormones so things like follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone mm-hmm. um and if they are very low then that basically suggests there's there's no energy to, to kind of make them work yeah. so that means you're not going to ovulate you're not creating life there no. or you're not even trying to create life no yeah. exactly and if you um don't ovulate you're not going to produce estrogen so in this in this athlete's case her Estrogen was very, very, very low, um, and her luteinizing hormone was non-existent. Now, I only, generally, only see this non-existent luteinizing hormone in athletes that train very, very hard. Mm. Um, And again, if you go back to the old studies around female athlete triad, that's some of the correlations you'll see, is that the very low luteinizing hormone tends to then give the highest indicator of um, decreased bone density and then a higher risk of stress fractures. So we know that that's the exercise seems to directly seems to affect luteinizing hormone directly. So number of times I've asked my guys now to have blood tests, but mm. is, is it, are all blood tests the same? Like what, what are we, you know, like as in going to a GP is that, I mean, I, my understanding is that, you know, there's a lot to, to, to look at when it yeah. comes to bloods. So we tend to look at, um, we have a little profile that we've put together um, and we tend to look at hormones, thyroid function, inflama- inflammatory markers, and immune markers. That's what I tend to look at. Some GPs are, are awesome and you can give them the list and they'll do it and there's no issues at all. Some GPs are a little bit more susceptible, uh, skeptical, sorry, yeah. the wrong word, uh, a little bit more skeptical about it or maybe they don't see that it's an important thing. Um, and so in that case, what we tend to recommend is that um, our athletes work with with Fourth Edge, which is a biomarker company that we work with. Um, I really like Fourth Edge. I don't put my name to many things, but I have agreed to be one of their um, expert panel members yeah. because because of that very reason. Because they like to make sure that the information giving being given back to their clients is credible. So they've got a they've got two doctors and they've got myself on their board, and we look at blood tests. They come to us and they go, "This one's really high or this one's really low. What should we tell this client?" So it's really it's like it's like being looked after. That's well, why I like it. It makes sense though. Like one, it's not based on one opinion. It's based on three that work together, and you no, know, it makes a lot more sense, yeah. doesn't it? Really. And I don't know any other biomarker company that actually has that. So there's lots of biomarker companies out there, but I don't know any other one that actually has, particularly a CMO, so a chief medical officer that oversees every single result that comes in and offers some feedback on those results if there's a problem. Right. So I think that's like that's like kind of its unique unique selling po- um, point. But that's also why I like working with it. So we have a yeah we have a profile on their site that our our athletes can access. It's a finger prick 
Um, yeah, that's amazing. It comes, yeah. in, it comes in the post and you just get a finger prick and off, yeah. you, off you go, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah basically yeah. it's a finger prick. You have to collect fair amount of little of blood from your finger um and you do need to follow the instructions and do it properly because it can be a bit it can be a bit tricky yeah. um but fundamentally you can do it in your own time yes. you can pop it in the post and within 24 48 hours we have the results on our computers so we can then pick up the phone to our clients and go right i'm really worried about your iron or i'm you know basically your blood tests are telling me that your thyroid function is still down regulated which tells me you're not eating enough yeah. like and that's why I love it, because when you are an athlete, when you are somebody with red S, you are incredibly determined. And so you also are incredibly capable and you don't really realize when there might be a slight discrepancy. You don't realize that you're maybe under stress because you don't want to hear it. You want to keep going. And um, actually, when you've got some tangible data that can say, do you know what? Your body's a bit off. I think it makes it a lot easier to go. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll pull back a little yeah. bit, or you know, I'll it's do something about this. It should be empowering mm. to know, like you know, we as a, as an athlete or athlete-minded individual who wants to pursue a, pursuing a goal of anything. Metrics give yourself some data to feedback off. Like if you just you're, you're guessing, unless you know you, you need to know what those numbers are, and if you, if it is, then and then you know then find get the right you know education educate yourself get get yourself in front of the right people so you can obviously work on those areas if not then great but at least you know like the worst thing you could do is try and just hope that you're you're okay or you hope you're in the right ranges you know yeah exactly and i think like from my point of view it's something that we carry on monitoring so with all the people that we work with together we encourage them to get blood tests depending on where they start it can be monthly like for example some of our male um, cyclists I get them to do thyroid and testosterone monthly for the first few months so I can see that there's a progression and it is improving yeah. um, and or otherwise it'll be three monthly just so we can start to see that they are the bloods are moving in the right direction the intervention we've put in place is working um, I'm and gonna, sorry I'm gonna jump in there testosterone and mm, men. Mm. Um, healthy range unhealthy range or you know what is that what does that look like so I mean, this is more Dr. K, who I work with, the endocrinologist, is more her territory than mine. But I know that, that she gets very twitchy if the results are 10 or below okay. for a male. Um, that's still quite like 20 is a good number, but anything below 10 is, is a real concern. So like if we have got people who are like, say, 10 to say 14, I'd still be kind of fairly wary. It's OK, but I'd be wary. Um, and it does tell us a lot about what's going on. And so when it comes to intervention, you know, when an athlete comes into our clinic, um, we've diagnosed them with red S through the blood tests. Um, we've looked at their nutritional intake and it's fairly obvious they're not eating properly. Um, we've looked at their training load and gone, yep, okay, it's quite a lot. Um, we then obviously have to give them some sort of intervention. And this is where it can be, it can be tricky. But fundamentally, for most of them, we are going to have to reduce training load. Um, and sometimes, well, most of the time we also have to reduce training intensity because often these are the individuals that are doing really high intensity sessions way too often. And, and so that's putting the big stress again, a lot of them might be doing fasted training sessions because, you know, we keep hearing about fat, fat adaptation and Mm. the importance of that, but actually it can also be detrimental so we have to stop all fasted training. So anybody recovering from red S or overtraining should never do fasted training ever. I'm not saying you need to eat a big, like massive breakfast before you go out, but you do need to eat something. Mm-hmm. So um, I know like for myself, if I'm going out for a run in the morning, I will always have, you know, I might have a piece of toast before I go and then I'll have a second breakfast when I come back in, or I might have um, you know, a couple of oat cakes with mashed banana and then again, a second breakfast when I come in. But it's like, it's those simple things. It's nothing, not talking like you have to eat a massive bowl of porridge and then go out for a, you know, your run. It's just making sure you've got something in the system. When it comes to obviously talking about ranges and like, um, you know, what's healthy, what's not. Again, it's really important to know, obviously, everything's individualized. Everything's mm, so yeah. very, very personal. And so, you know, like 
asking those sorts of questions, it's not, there's never a clear cut answer because everyone has a different background, different story, different work life, training life. But as you say, like those are kind of, we're just talking about parameters here, but it's just, it's super important that everyone has, you know, as an individual, everyone, uh, individual story, isn't it? A hundred percent. And, and you know, this is it. No two people's plans will be the same No, because not. everybody's different. They've got a different starting point. Um, Again, dependent on how severe the blood tests are will depend on what we offer. You know, for some people, it is a case of, I'm really sorry, but you can't do any training. And I hate doing that, but sometimes we have to. Like, we've got a, a case, haven't we? We've got a case where the individual, um, she was a young runner. Um, she'd had lots of problems. She hadn't had periods for six years um she had had two stress fractures coming into our clinic so this is before she came into our clinic um looking at her bloods obvious that she had hypothalamic amenorrhea um and red s and um she'd also had a bone density done bone density scan done recently and that was really severely osteoporotic it's one of the worst results i've ever seen and this young lady was only 21 so you know quite severe so when she was like well can i run it was like, I'm really sorry, but no, because you are at absolute high risk. You are the highest risk of us, of all of our clients in getting another stress fracture. So what we need to do is we need to rectify the balance. We need to get your periods back. We have to get you fueling better. We have to get you meeting your energy requirements. Um, but what we can do is encourage you to work with Chris, which is what we did. Well, yeah, it's, it's you know the whole thing about is in that in that situation where someone has been literally going to being told that he can't do anything, you really have to find a way of then then straight away empowering that individual because you want them to you know to take something away from someone who obviously loves to do what they do. It's you, you know you have to find ways of managing that. And so obviously when it comes to obviously the the gym environment or just or just being able to move their own body. Then that's obviously when we we step in with with some a very low level, low intensity uh, body weight kind of strength program, but it's I, I guess the, in that in that moment where you're taking something from someone, you've got to make sure that you are empowering them in, in other ways because obviously no one likes to be told they can't do the thing they love. No, exactly. And this this story has a really happy ending, right? Yes. So she's actually bless her, she's worked incredibly hard. She's had a few blips along the way, um, but you know we all do because life is not linear and neither is recovery. And um, but she's now had two menstrual periods, which is fantastic, natural ones, um, and she's. We're basically getting her back to running um, pretty much right now, aren't we? Yeah, so. yeah, no, it's been a really good, really good journey. I mean, and it's, it's been progressive, and I think, it's, as um, Rini said, it's not linear, nothing's linear, and ups and downs. It's it's a, it's a roller coaster. Like, I find no other way of saying it. Like, there's you in the messages back and forth between coaches, between the three of us, you know, like back and forth, you know, like, you know, like there's been times when, you know, like wanting to run more, like, you know, just the emotions come, the emotional side of activity comes in where you just want to do more, but you just, you know, unfortunately, you get to a point where you've emptied your body to a point where you're depleted, so depleted that you really have to strip it right back down to the the basics again and start moving better again. And, uh, and again, once we do that, we build those foundations back up. We start applying load, appropriate load, you know, and we just slowly start building up the complexity of the movements. And lo and behold, you start introducing running again. And, and it, it's just a process, but you have to be have to be mature about it. Yeah. You have to be very patient about it. You have to be consistent. I mean, it's all those words that a lot of... A lot of us don't enjoy having having to be patient about anything, but it's it, it's it's doable. It's very very doable. And I think something to highlight here is that um, so not so there's there's two types of red S. I just I think I need to kind of okay. uh, to sort of talk about this just because I think then it's important to uh, to move on to the next to- uh, topic. But there's two types of red S. There's there's red S, which is what I think is is red S, which is literally an imbalance in the energy going in against the work you put out and it's it's not a conscious decision to underfuel or overtrain it's just a lack of knowledge and these individuals are actually very very easy to work with because they come in they're a bit clueless we put them back together again and they're very happy to follow our instruction without any anxiety without any concern um, about what it will do and they, they follow the, the advice and lo and behold, they're usually back on track very, very quickly. There is what we call involuntary red S. And in my professional opinion, and this is my opinion, 
for me, this is just eating disorders in sport. Um, it's a difficult conversation to have with people because nobody wants to be told they've got an eating disorder. Um, I think there's still a lot of taboo around that, that, you know, saying that. And I think there have also been cases and I have unfortunately had athletes, high end athletes where this has happened, where, you know, the knowledge of their eating disorder has actually meant they are struck off their team, which is, you know, really, really not the best, um, management but it is what it is and that's what's happened so i think it's one of the reasons why we also call it red s now with mm. these individuals there is a psychological element to why they are doing this so i'm i want to make this really clear often these individuals are using their food and their training behaviors as a way of coping life feels incredibly difficult for them you know perhaps they've got this this negative narrative that they're not good enough they need to do more they constantly need to crack the whip like it's it's all there and it feels really really uncomfortable i know from personal experience i definitely ex felt that real discomfort and i had no idea what it was all i kept hearing in my head was I'm not good enough and I need to do more I need to push harder I need to push harder if I get that marathon time I'll be good enough and then you'd get that marathon time and then you wouldn't be good enough and you'd have to do more and it would just be this constant slave to numbers and so this feels very uncomfortable and when you restrict your energy intake you momentarily numb those difficult feelings so you feel a sense of relief and then this feeds back. It's like a feedback system. Oh, I feel a bit better when I don't eat that much. And I feel like I've got things contained. I've got things controlled. And then this becomes a very compulsive and obsessive behavior. So it is an eating disorder. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's one of the things I've had to talk to you about when we're bringing in some of these clients into the gym. Yeah. Because the way it's not their fault. They've agreed to work with you. They've agreed to work with me. They want to get better, but it is a mental illness. It really is. And so even when somebody says, I really want to get better, they still will work very, very hard at maintaining their disordered behaviors because it makes them feel safe. It makes them feel in control. And so one of the things we've had to work on is our communication, which I think we've, we've nailed, but early on I know like it was quite tricky at times because often I'm bad cop and you're good cop well yeah because I'm giving them what they want and you're not I'm not yeah I'm telling them off often yeah. I'm like no you can't do that and you need to think about this and so what was happening in some occasions is that they were communicating more with you because they felt like yeah well Chris will let us do what we want to do mm -hmm. but if we talk to Rini she's going to say a flat no and I think that was really interesting and and like some of our athletes have now realized that you and I talk pretty much every day <laughs> yeah. and they're not going to pull the wool over our eyes. And actually that, you know, if, if someone asks you a question about training, you're going to immediately come to me and go, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of development as we kind of work we just constantly kind of, obviously we sit down pretty much on a weekly basis and, and make sure we're kind of on point with everyone we work with. But yeah, it was definitely that case where I was kind of, I was always, I was getting a very good response from all my all my guys and girls that we were working with, but to the point where I felt yeah I knew they weren't talking to you anymore mm. or they weren't talking as much mm. to you anymore and uh, you know you you weren't aware of some of the things that I was aware of and this is what happens like, it, it, I guess manip, manip, manipulation or manipulative you know yeah. it, they don't mean to do it but it happens and as a coach I was very quickly aware that I knew I had to kind of we had to be very open about what you know the interaction between the networking between me and Rini had to be had to be pretty spot on week to week almost a daily daily check-in just because of the needs of the individual and that's also why guys I'm always really really um clear that not everybody should work in this field because if unless you're trained and experienced in this field it's very, very easy to get coerced into those behaviors. On the strength and conditioning point of view, it's very easy to get these individuals to train. Mm, like, of course it is. Um, like you could, anyone, oh, trust me, anyone could tell someone to lift something or move something, but you've got to step back and look at that individual and know the full story, know the history, know the lifestyle, the mindset, the, the support network that that individual's got behind them. You, if you just, you honestly, you could tell them to do a box jump, you could tell them to do a burpee, you could tell them to put 50 kilo back squat, do it, and they'll do it. Well, is it healthy? Is it right? 
that's that's quite and they're the sort of questions you have to have in your mind so to think that you can just just apply a program and have no thoughts and, no, and there's no repercussions there will be and that's and it's one of the biggest responsibilities as any type of coach and that's that's not that's not just strength and conditioning that's you on a track if you're telling that individual to do 10 400s with a two-minute recovery like that it, it all applies so you have to be very aware of the of that individual they will they will they will do anything you tell them to do because they you know they love to run they love to train but it's your responsibility to stop to think to network to ask that in, to ask those that are around you whether they should or shouldn't be and from a nutritional point of view again fundamentally this is a clinical condition if you think about the bloods you think about the mental health aspect the psychological aspect this is a clinical condition so the only nutritional practitioners who are regulated and trained to work in this field are dietitians and in this field particularly you'd need to be a sports dietitian Mm -hmm. so you'd need to have that additional qualification not just as a registered dietitian but also as a sports dietitian and guys the only reason i have any well the confidence and the belief and obviously you know the experience now to say that i can work with these individuals because i have a strong network around me you know i have really at the other end you know next to me here who i know that we consult want to say on a daily basis on individuals so that's the only way i'm able to do what i do uh, and what we're able to do here at strength endurance is because we have that strong professional network around us yeah and i think like you know the reason why i say that i know a lot of you be like maybe rolling your eyes and going yeah no but i can do that because i've learned about red s in my in my course or, or whatever um and actually i had a conversation with um one of the um leads like in terms of there's a there's a course in this country for eating disorders um and we had a conversation because he was saying do you think that this course is misleading and i was like to a certain degree yes because you're letting pretty much anybody a sports scientist a nutritionist um anyone with any sort of biological background come and do this masters and it's got the term eating disorder in the title but you know that they can't practice because unless they are a dietitian, they shouldn't be practicing unless they've got like a psychological background and they've got another medical clinical kind of qualification. They can't work in this kind of eating disorder. And and the reason why we say this, guys, is because, as we said, it's so easy to get manipulated and it's so easy to miss signs, like really easy. I am I, I was talking to um one of my colleagues who is she's a public health nutritionist and she's very much you know that's what she does and she's brilliant at her job but she always says to me there's no way I'd do your job I couldn't do it but we were talking about something and she said to me she goes wow you're there's nowhere for your clients to hide is there I was like no I know every single trick in the book like there is nothing that someone can say to me or a behavior they can do that I won't find out what that's about so and that's like years of experience but also yeah Yeah. but it's also the clinical practice and the clinical knowledge that, that that I've got and you know like one of the things is that these individuals will want to negotiate with you about food well no i can't eat that because we've never had that as a family like that's kind of some of the things or they'll be yeah but i really dislike that or i have to be vegan for ethical reasons or whatever it might be um there'll be there'll always be an excuse to why they can't do what you tell them to do and the whole point of working with me is that i want to help them get to a place where they have a really comfortable and healthy relationship with food. They have a healthy attitude towards eating and training. So that's not to say that, you know, they should be eating McDonald's every day. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's about understanding that, you know what, sometimes in some situations, there is no choice. You know, like at the end of a race or whatever, you need to get fuel in the system. And if there's, if there's only fish and chips available, then you do that. And it's okay to do that once in a while, but what it's not okay to do is then not eat for four or five hours because you're like, well, I can't eat that because I've got a rule against that. Mm. So it's complicated. It's not as simple. It's a web. Honestly, guys, like the more you, like you cannot underestimate the the work and the conversations and experience and the knowledge and the education you need to do these types of type of work sometimes because like any like any great profession, you you, you get the you know, you get the education, you get the certification. But then you've got to obviously then probably get, you know, keep learning. There's no mm. doubt about it. But then you've got to get the experience, the hours on the ground, the hours in the clinic room, the hours on the gym floor. And then you start to piece that together. And as Rini says, like, there's not there's not much that she, she doesn't see now. And it's the same thing in the gym. Like, when you, when you get that experienced eye, you can pretty much in one movement or in you know, a couple of reps, you can get to see everything you need to know. And But that only comes with 
hours, thousands of hours of experience and, and a lot of, lot of uh, education. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a deeper, darker puzzle than you really uh, like. You want to admit sometimes, I think. Yeah, definitely. But on that note, like what we want to do say is that you know recovery is completely possible. We've oh, given you one example already of of how you, you you get recovery, and we've got several others. Um, I'm also conscious we've got some we've got some audience questions as yes. well. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, actually, on this on this note, we had one from Sarah. She was just asking: Is menstrual dysfunction the first sign of reds? So, really great question. Um, and the answer is no, not always. So, for some women, it will be, but for other women, no, it won't be. You know, like it could be that. F- for some women, genetically, they don't need to necessarily be particularly um, heavy. But also, it might be that for some women, their body just adapts to a lower energy availability. And so menstrual cycle continues. And it might be that it presents as something else, such as recurrent injuries, or um, poor performance, or your immune function goes, you know, you might get the kind of um, glandular fever, Epstein-Barr type um, thing so no don't don't rely just on your menstrual function it's one of the signs like it's, mm-hmm. it's an easy sign as in it's it, it's there or it's not but it's not the only sign um is it, i mean just just to whilst i'm thinking about it is it like a checklist and i mean you know, it's to, to obviously summarize anything like this it's that this sort of, kind of this simply but i mean in my mind there is a little bit of a checklist that i go through when i'm working with people but is there a, kind of a checklist people can kind of think about i think like it's difficult to give you a checklist because everybody presents in such a different way. Um, But I think the key thing is like, are you recovering properly between sessions? As in, do you feel recovered going into your next session? Are you sleeping well? Like again, you know, like sleep, it can be a number of things, but one of the things that people are not aware of is that when your body's hungry, when there's not enough energy going in, your body's going to stay awake because it's searching for food. So sleep could be another one. Is your sleep gone off recently? Are you not sleeping very well? are you getting recurrent injuries like or have you got niggles that just kind of keep coming back and forth they're not they're not bad enough for you to stop training but they're they're kind of always there are you getting lots of coughs and colds like are you getting recurrent in in um, infections and you know like are you feeling cold like and and can you function like cognitively what's going on like can you concentrate like that's the thing i notice a lot is the concentration yeah is that they just can't quite focus for very long yeah, so at you've, all. You've n- named a few of the ones, the classic ones that I kind of, in my experience, I, I look for on a yeah. regular basis. Um, so the other question I've, I've got, um, Tom, one of our guy, one of our listeners, uh, one of our followers, he's, he just asks, do you always lose weight with red? No. Yes. Again, no. a really, really important question because I think there's this, there's this assumption that you're going to lose weight. But we've had a number of... Um, individuals with red s who are a normal weight and again if we go back to the metabolic rate slowing down the body's trying to preserve energy it doesn't want you to lose weight it's telling you something and so no you don't often have to be low in weight you can have other the other symptoms but you don't have to necessarily lose weight at all well, I think that's been, um, hopefully you've enjoyed the whistle stop tour of Red S and um, we will obviously, again, please leave a review and let us know what you think of this episode and we'll be back next week with an episode on coaching. Speak soon, guys.